0: You're listening to The Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Kartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is The Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Martha, thank you so much for joining me today, and and you're joining me from the UK. So, what time is it there? It's like midnight, right? It's,
1: it's literally zero dark thirty here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's very late. So, I appreciate you hopping on here and telling your story and sharing it for the podcast. I'd love if you would just start wherever you feel like your story starts. For some, they think, you know, that that always. That always sparks like in somebody's mind one thing or another, and some for some people it's when they met their partner, for some people it's when they first got pregnant. so I would love for you to start wherever your mind goes to with that,
1: yeah, yeah, um yeah, so um, my husband and I were married back in two thousand six, which I think puts us in a different demographic than some of the guests you've had, but we were children, I was twenty one so <laughs> um we um. And we went on to have, um, two kids, a girl and a boy, um, kind of three years into marriage and then six years into marriage. So just kind of like clockwork. And, um, I thought I was good, you know, I kind of took it for granted. And, um, the only thing I ever knew for sure that I wanted to be was a mom and it just kind of, it happened so naturally, um, uh, that um I thought it would keep happening that way, um so I'll I'll tell the story of my um my three miscarriages that happened. I want to say that because I don't want somebody triggering getting triggered uh, later in the episode when they're hoping something's going to go well. <laughs> um, so um my first um my first one was actually um when we were trying to get pregnant for the second time. And, um, I've, it was kind of like, I, I took a pregnancy test just because we were trying and it was a very, very faint, um, positive. And it was so, it was so kind of, I mean, it was so faint that I hardly knew what to do with it, with the information. I just kind of jettisoned it from my brain. Um, and it's only in recent years that I've, you know, I kind of, forgot about it for a while. Cause I just really didn't, I didn't process it. Um, and I didn't really know what to do with the information either, if that makes sense. Um, I've
0: heard so- that a lot about chemical quote unquote chemical pregnancies, which I don't like the terms, but um, whenever <laughs> I talk to people who have experienced the faint positive, a lot of them didn't process it in the moment and I, I think you worded it great. Like you didn't know what to do with the information that you had because you didn't really know what the information was telling you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And if we hadn't been trying, I wouldn't have even known because it was just like a regular period. I would have had no idea. Just like the doctors say, just like a period, you know, but it, that one really was. Um, so, yeah. Um, very soon after that, we got pregnant with um, our second um living child um my son his name is oz um something i to explain the rest of it um that i should say is that i have the lifelong chronic illness i have um (laughs) different doctors call it different things i was diagnosed as a baby with what was then called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and um for some people it goes into remission when they're adults and for me, it did not. It got um, much more severe. So um, that can cause a ton of problems. But it was very well controlled for my first two pregnancies, and it didn't cause any problems. I don't. I don't think that it had anything to do with that. The, um, the you know, the chemical pregnancy. Um, and so for my first daughter, for my daughter, I didn't even see anybody special. You know, it was just a textbook pregnancy. And for my son, I was located, um, in a different place and my OB sent me to the MFM, um, you know, the high risk OB and I thought it was so silly. It's <laughs> like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm just, it's fine. And it was fine. You know, it was just a, um, a, um, an excess of caution, um, And I'm really kind of grateful that I was so oblivious in some ways because I didn't agonize over things. I didn't, um, not knowing that he would be my last, you know, living baby. I am just with my personality. I'm kind of glad because I think I would have had this kind of unbearable nostalgia, like trying to hang on to all of it. Um, And as it was, I just kind of experienced it in a very normal way, you know. Loved being a mom um, and all that. So, um, okay, I've made notes because my memory is horrible. And so is my train of thought while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, had, um, I had had several friends who opened up to me about their miscarriages. And so I was not completely um, ignorant about any of this up until this time. Um, I had heard lots of different kinds of miscarriage stories and, um, and I even had an interesting experience where, when I was very pregnant with my son, and I mean, like I was enormous, (laughs) he was an enormous baby. Um, I had a friend who was dealing with infertility, um, say that, and she was trying to get pregnant she kind of she looked at me and she was like she said something like, "It makes me really sad to look at you," and it, at the time it was like, "Wow, it's just it's just so blunt and um, eye opening," and like it felt kind of hurtful at the time, but just kind of like, "I don't understand what's happening here," and um, of course, later I totally understand that emotion that was behind that. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of women who've been to, through miscarriages will understand that um and so i um and I had also kind of just through online follows and friends I had seen a had opened a window into the online infertility and pregnancy loss and infant loss community, and so I had had um kind of like this storehouse of all these stories that I'd heard and later it would feel kind of like a storehouse of grace that I wasn't having to feel like I was the first person I knew to go through this, um, that, um, you know, lots of other people had survived it and it, (laughs) there comes a point where that piece of information is really key. Um, so, um, We, um, uh, we ended up moving to Belgium when, um, my kids were young elementary and a toddler and, you know, it was time to have another kid. And we had always kind of assumed we would probably have three to four. We had wanted a, um, a family more that size. And so got pregnant right on time, quote unquote. Um, I was due, uh, three years and three months after my son Oz was born, which is the same age gap between him and his older sister, um, which I thought was really neat. It was not on purpose. It was just the way it worked out. Um, and I, I actually don't remember a ton about that pregnancy except for being very, very nauseated. Um, with my first two, I Um, I had I had felt sick, but with this one, I was actually throwing up frequently (laughs) Um, and um, also dealing with the different uh, OB care in Belgium. I was even though my husband is in the military at that location, you go to an off base um, doctor. And so I actually happened to see a British doctor who had lived in Belgium for many years, but English was her first language, which was really nice. Um, and they do things differently there. They, um, they do an ultrasound at every appointment because the doctor just has the machine right there. And it's really, um, it's kind of comically humiliating. They send you to the corner. They, They have like a little curtain, privacy curtain in the corner and you take your pants off. But then you just come out of the curtain and you walk across the room and get up on the table right in front of her. <laughs> so, but, you know, women pass that information around and they tell each other, wear a tunic, wear a dress.
0: <laughs> um, oh <my> God. <laughs> it kind of goes with the the meme where it's like, you go to the gynecologist and whenever you get undressed, you're like folding up your underwear and hiding it in a shoe or in your jeans or something, even though they're about to like see full frontal (laughs) yes
1: yes (laughs) like wouldn't want to give the wrong impression (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) so funny um so um yeah and at the time um I was also dealing with kind of deteriorating mental health not seriously deteriorating but I was coming to to Realized that i had anxiety and had had it my whole life but just um not quite at a not quite at a level that i needed medication just as something i needed to address um in certain ways and just be aware of um and um and so that was going on and then my my disease my arthritis was um it was also slowly deteriorating and i was kind of in denial about it i kind of just was pretending that my medicine was working but i was on a very slow downhill where my mobility was worsening just a little bit at a time and um and i was in more and more pain and so i was really thinking about all that stuff and um you know i was just taking being pregnant for granted and so um i believe i i probably had two appointments to completely normal, like probably about seven weeks and then 10 weeks. Um, that would be seven weeks and 12 weeks, um, with, you know, ultrasounds, heartbeats, blood work was great. Everything was fine. Um, and so I went in for my, um, 16 week appointment and, um, the only thing, the only thing that had happened was my morning sickness had started to decrease, but which I would hope so by 16 weeks, you know, I was just relieved. And um, with my other pregnancies, I had felt flutters very early and um, like, you know, as early as 15 weeks. And this time I had started feeling flutters at 12 weeks, which seems a little bit ridiculous, but Having been right about them twice before um, and I had lost quite a bit of weight with um, the anxiety and the nausea, Um, I had felt them for a little bit and then they had stopped. Um, But I thought, well, I was probably just, you know, it was muscles twitching. It was my uterus stretching, you know, whatever. so I, because we would had two good appointments, my husband went with me to the earlier ones, but I was heading to the 16 week one um, by myself because we just thought it was routine. Um, and it's really funny. There was, um, Europeans do love to strike as a lot of people know. And on this day, there was a farmer's strike <laughs> and um, I was trying to get my kids to school and they were <sighs> dozens if not hundreds of tractors taking the back roads to brussels from where we were just backing up causing havoc in the traffic and it's funny because it's such a particular it's a memory from such a particular time and place and it's never (laughs) never going to go away it's just kind of has that surrealist quality of like all these tractors are holding up traffic on purpose um so anyways I was kind of late to my appointment. Um, and yeah, so she um, did a brief check-in with me and, um, and then she pulled up the ultrasound and I could tell immediately. Um, I, don't, I don't even remember if it was her face or the screen that I saw first. It's like, I see them both in my mind. You know, her face just had this stricken look on it. And the on the ultrasound, there was just total stillness which at 16 weeks, you know, there's a lot of wiggling going on. Um, and so I knew even before she said, and um, she was, even just seeing that look on her face meant a lot because it showed that she cared. Um, she could have kind of a brusque manner about her in general. And so, um, I was kind of pleasantly surprised to find that she handled this really well. She was very compassionate. Um, she actually teared up when she was, when she saw the ultrasound. Um, and I could tell she was shocked, you know, it, it doesn't happen every day in um, in her career. Um, so she told me that, um, you know, the only option Um, under her care was, um, a medically managed miscarriage, um, in the hospital for that stage of pregnancy. Um, and that there was kind of a 50, 50 chance that I would deliver the baby, um, you know, helped along with drugs. And that would be followed by a DNC because she said, the placenta doesn't usually detach. Um, so And she was ready to hand me the pill right then because it was a Monday and she's in surgery on Wednesdays. And so it would be would have been perfect. And I was just like, like, hang on, I need, I need some time to, um, to process this, think about what we're doing, consent to this. And it's, I haven't, I haven't always been good about sticking up for myself in situations like that. I, I'm very much a doctor pleaser. I want to to be considered a compliant patient (laughs) i think that having you know having a chronic illness um i grasped from a young age how important it was that my doctors uh saw me in a positive way and that's one way you can do it (laughs) so not um, not a totally healthy impulse but a self-preserving one so but i managed to say like just hang on i need some time and she was like okay but it's just it's going to be a week um because of her schedule and stuff. Um, and I was like, that's fine. So um, so you know, I went home and started Googling. Um, but not not quite. I had to call my husband, of course. And um, where he worked, he doesn't didn't have a um a private office. You know, he answers the phone, he's in a, a room full of people. And so, of course, I had to go to the car. Well, well, I talked to my doctor. I didn't cry because I'm a private crier. (laughs) I went to the bathroom and cried. I went to get my blood taken. And then I went to the car and had to call my husband. And, of course, you know, I'm calling. I'm trying to say, can you go to a private office and call me from there? But I can't get it out. So, of course, he knows. But he's still he's like, okay, I'll call you right back. And then I have to wait. And then he goes and calls me from the other the private office and um so it's just those little kind of inconveniences that can really get to you at the time you're like this too like he like he i know everybody's going to instantly know that something's wrong all of the um you know everybody at work and um military bases can be kind of a fishbowl <laughs> and um with something like this you know at the time i just wanted anonymity um but um so yeah i went home and started googling cuz i was like what is going to happen what is this going to be like because um my baby we found out he was a boy we named him afton he had um he had stopped growing um just over 2 weeks earlier at um, almost 14 weeks and so i'm like i've been carrying around this baby dead for over 2 weeks i'm going to deliver him and so i started googling and googling and everything um in english so you know mostly the u.s and the uk women at that stage had dncs the doctors seemed to really prefer that and i can see why because it's inconvenient to have somebody laboring who there's a good chance they're going to need a dnc afterwards possibly an emergency one um but what i also saw was um, a lot of women wishing they had been given the chance to have a medically managed um, miscarriage at this stage because, you know, you get to hold your baby and they're small, but um, you can count fingers and toes at that stage. And, um, and so I saw a lot of women uh, just with a lack of closure who wished they had been given the choice. Between the two options, um, and so that gave me a little bit of. I, I think, given the choice, I would have I would have chosen um, to deliver him anyways, just because of certain personal preferences. But that kind of shored me up and gave me uh, a realization that I had um, I had a, a real chance for closure with this miscarriage that a lot of women don't get um so but i still couldn't find anything about because most women don't do it i couldn't find any information about it and i could have called my doctor she actually gave me her cell phone but i wasn't thinking clearly (laughs) and um and so i am because of you know the friends that had trusted me with their stories and um the stories that I'd read, I didn't, I wasn't under the illusion that it was something like unusually horrible happening to me in that, in the sense that just like childbirth, you know, um, miscarriages happened to millions of women. Um, And, um, but it didn't, so I didn't feel alone in that sense, but of course, trapped in a body <laughs> that contains another dead body, like I also just wanted to crawl out of my skin, not in the way that I would have thought. I um I had always thought of missed miscarriage as kind of like my worst pregnancy nightmare, which is kind of silly because honestly there uh, there are worse things. Um, but it was just something that. Um, seemed so horrific to me to have to carry around your deaf baby. Um, And yet in the moment, um, it was absolutely horrible, but it still wasn't, it wasn't unbearable um, in the sense that um, I always thought it would be kind of gross or creepy to have you know, like a, a human palm sized dead baby inside of you. And it was not, I actually was able to take comfort in the fact that, you know, my baby never knew pain or um, anything other than safety. Um, And yet at the same time, I still felt utterly trapped (laughs) in this situation, I really didn't want to go through the delivery and the DNC. And so it was um, it was very complicated, as so often happens um, with women going through miscarriages, just really complicated feelings. So um, my husband was able to come home from work and stay home for a while. And I found out later, they had actually used um, the paternity leave policy, which had been recently started in the army, um, which was very kind because I know that, um, in some work situations, you know, even within the army at the same policy, they wouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, so people were really great. They brought us meals. Um, you know, I had friends send flowers from, overseas, you know, calling and talk, speaking in French to a Belgian florist um, to have a flower show up on our doorstep. Um, Lots of, um, we received a lot of care and support um, over that week where I was waiting to miscarry and then the time afterwards. So, um, so I spent a week from the day I found out until the next Monday when we went in, she kind of humored us by giving us one more ultrasound, just because I couldn't take the pills without seeing again, even though it was completely unmistakable, of course. Um, but she did that. And then I, um, and then we started the process with, um, she had to take me down to the basement of the hospital, to the pharmacy. Um, to give me a Mr. Prussel pill. Um, and then, um, so then we waited for two days and then we went into the hospital. Um, and they say, you know, sometimes you spend the night, sometimes you don't, um, just depends on how it all goes. And, um, Sorry, collecting my thoughts.
0: Oh, take your time. <laughs> um and I'll also I will edit this out, but I can edit out like long pauses and stuff. Um, sure. so don't worry about anything like that. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um
1: So yeah, on the Wednesday, went into the hospital, and um, uh, I was in a room on on the um, on the maternity ward. And um, it's a in the hospital, they often have shared rooms. So, I mean, of course, thankfully they they were very very considerate. I had my own room, and I th- all the nurses that came in knew exactly what was going on. And um and so then I took started taking Cytotec to start um contractions and it worked right away. I started um it was just like labor even though the baby was tiny. Um it was I I had epidurals in my labors and so it's kind of hard to compare them but there was the unmistakable contractions and a lot a lot of pain. Um and um um, and then you know the urge to push at the end, but it was of course much easier than pushing out a almost eleven pound baby like one of mine was um so yeah i um, I delivered him pretty quickly, and you know it was nothing uh there was nothing strange about his appearance, I suppose he wasn't a very healthy color, but. Um, he was, you know, he was perfect, um, at, you know, for an almost 14 week fetus, (laughs) you know, he looked exactly the way he should have, and we could see that he was a boy. And, um, and so then, um, he came so quickly that I delivered him in my room that we didn't have time to go down to the delivery room. Um, but so then they wheeled me down there and I was able to kind of hold him, but I had, um, you know, at first he was of course attached to the umbilical cord, which was very short. Um, so they, they cut that and then, um, waited for a while to try to see if I would deliver the placenta. Um, and I was bleeding a fair amount at this point you know I don't really know I didn't know what was an alarming amount what was not but it started to seem like this is like kind of a lot um and my doctor was not there she got caught in um in a c-section or something and so it was um another doctor who didn't um didn't really speak any English was very kind of cold and removed almost in a way that he seemed like he was maybe nervous didn't know what he was doing (laughs) that kind of impression not like he was being cold on purpose but um thankfully we were able to um spend a little bit of time with afton um before we really had to deal with the rest of um with the rest of everything so the nurses um made sure we got to hold him and, and have a good look at him. But it wasn't a peaceful time because I was still contracting really painfully um and bleeding. And so it ended up being um, too much blood, my placenta tore. And so I had to be rushed into the OR for um, a DNC. Um, but I had eaten breakfast that morning, <laughs> which you're not supposed to do because um, – Um, Because you might be going under general anesthesia. And I was like, oh, there's a 50 50 chance like both of my full term deliveries were textbook. Um, I am its the worst day of my life. I don't want to be deprived of breakfast as well. (laughs) Just logical thoughts like that. so I had eaten a small bowl of oatmeal six hours earlier. And so the doctor was like hemming and hawing and was like, we really shouldn't, I don't know. And so they decided to try to do an epidural, but when they sat me up for the epidural, I then passed out. So that answered that question and they just put me under and um, thankfully and and got it over with. And um, And so I woke up in the recovery room feeling like I had been I've never been hit by a bus, but it was that feeling every, every muscle in my body hurts so much and never having been under general anesthesia, never having miscarried, never having hemorrhage before. I was like, I don't, I don't know. It was just normal. And I saw by this time my doctor had showed up in time to do the DNC and she came to check on me and she said everything went fine um, and that she thought she got everything. So Um, and I was just, I was just in survival mode, meaning not questioning mode. (laughs) Um, and so I didn't ask her and it, it wasn't a big deal. It was just one of those things that happens when you're getting medical care in a foreign language and not wanting to deal with it as well. Um, I, um, just being in the dark is, um, it's frustrating and another layer of trauma and, later I was telling another friend who had been through, um, a similar experience. And she said that, you know, it was possible that they had, that they gave me epinephrine to stop the bleeding or to help with that. And that can have that effect. So I don't know, because all I know is my second miscarriage that did not happen. Um, and so, um, they, um, they kept me overnight. They gave me an um, an IV, an iron infusion. Um, I, I didn't quite need a blood transfusion, but just to help me recover faster, they gave me an iron infusion. And that was extremely unpleasant. It was really a strange experience. It um, felt like my chest was gri- getting crushed as it went in. It was really strange. <laughs> and I've read similar from other people. Um, they gave me a pill to stop my milk from coming in, which when they handed it to me and told me what it was, you know, and kind of like we were talking to each other in Franklish, um, you know, I hadn't thought of that at all because, you know, he was still, you know, much closer to the first trimester than the third in his gestation often was. And yet, of course, my pregnancy was 17 weeks along by that point. And so um, that was just kind of receiving that, pill was really painful to be like, oh, like this is, you know, just another thing that um, that was sad. And um, I don't think I would have been a good candidate for it, but I have heard, I think on your podcast and elsewhere about um, women who've gone through loss donating their breast milk. And I think that that is such a cool um, option for if you're looking for something tangible to do you know to to bring good out of your loss but i digress um so um and then i i yeah i stayed one night thankfully we had really sweet friends who could watch our kids cuz of course our family was on the other side of the atlantic um and um and yeah so then i went home and then um that was Um, the experience of labor was simultaneously traumatic, especially with kind of the, the blood loss and the emergency DNC and very, very healing because I felt like I could really feel the pain that like, that existed inside me was like a manifestation of my emotional pain and going through that without um I it kind of happened too fast to decide to take pain medication. Um it um it was like a mourning process in and of itself. And and I know for some people um when they uh miscarry it ends up being so traumatic especially if there's bleeding that it's um it's just trauma upon trauma for me it was um it was helpful and it's kind of hard to explain why except that i would compare it to um all four of my grandparents died while we were living overseas because we spent most of our time overseas and um uh only one of them I was able to make to their funeral. And so three of them, they just kind of just disappeared. And there wasn't a lot of closure there. Um, And so um, I would kind of compare it to that in terms of my my reaction, how I felt about it. Um, I was just able to, I guess, kind of like dedicate that time to mourning the end of my pregnancy um i'm i don't know that if you- makes sense
0: to me i i refer to it as like um morbidly beautiful is how i described my first miscarriage because i miscarried naturally yeah. and it was horrible but it was also empowering and healing and definitely yeah. you know helped in the mourning process. Um but still so horrible. But, you know, I had like a, a moment afterwards where I felt like superwoman. Like, I was like, I can't believe I just went through that. And I'm alive. Like that was insane to me. So I'm following you and I totally understand that feeling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Morbidly beautiful.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And yeah, even just getting to hold him, even though it was kind of crazy at the time, was um, was a big deal. So, um, at, immediately after that, um, my health kind of started just a nosedive, and in retrospect, it was probably a postpartum flare. A lot of women with autoimmune diseases. Um, get flares starting anywhere from immediately after birth to three months later, and so I think that it just aggravated my um, my immune system that was already ramping up and going psycho and so um i uh, started um, so started dealing with uh, with that my arthritis it's it's um, different than rheumatoid arthritis and that the main uh, symptom is swelling. And so, which it's, it's nice. It's not pain immediately, but my knees start to swell to like literally the size of bowling balls to where the skin is just stretched over it. (laughs) Like, and it's like itchy because it's stretched so far. And so of course it becomes painful and really difficult to walk. And then from there it spreads out into my other big joints and then eventually it trickles down into my small joints. And so, um it did that over the next couple of months um i had um complications from the iron iv i um i ended up being checked for um i had to have my heart checked thoroughly um i had to be checked for multiple sclerosis and none of those neither of those turned out to be anything um, important, but, um, I was having a lot of crazy symptoms as my immune system went haywire and, um, and, um, I was very depressed and when you're sick, it's hard to even, you can't separate any of it out. Like I was grieving, like I was very much grieving, but I was also very sick. And so I was, you know, were my depression symptoms, grief or they tied to the inflammation, you know, it's like, who knows, it's just a big tangled knot. And, um, and, uh, you know, I got to the point where I was, um, I was able to still walk, but I had to walk with a cane everywhere. And it was, um, really difficult to stay on my feet. My husband had to put my socks on in the morning before he went to work. Cause my fingers couldn't do it. Um, And, um, and, um, I had a recurring nightmare where I would give birth to basically a pile of bones that would collapse into a heap of dust. Um, and so that was kind of like torture. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, that spring, the Brussels, uh, bombings happened. And, um, so that would have been spring of 2016, I believe I might have this wrong. Um, and you know, uh, not only was my friend's daughter was standing five feet away from the airport bomb, um, and she survived, but it was, um, it was a really terrible, terrible kind of survival. It took her years to even get out of the hospital and, um, the thing was, my my husband and kids were heading back to the States a few days later. I had decided to stay behind because it was too hard to travel with my illness. They were heading back just for a wedding. And if the bomb had been a few days later on the first day of spring break, like people imagined was the original plan, they would have been standing like literally right next to it. And so I had just kind of a snowballing of all these anxieties. and um. Um, it was just a dark time. It was just really dark. And, um, and then the, uh, the cherry on top was my doctor putting me on steroids to control my immune system, which also causes anxiety, panic attacks, um, and, um, like blood sugar issues and all kinds of fun things. So, um, I went through a very dark time. Um, there was also a lot of, um, there was a lot of grace during that time. I had a lot of really understanding friends. Um, I had, um, I had on, um, on Afton's due date. I, um, I didn't choose the the date for this. I was just, you know, I, I wasn't the planner. I was just in it on his due date. I was actually singing in a worship service, um, which was actually, it was very poorly attended and, um, uh, and, uh, very imperfect in a lot of ways, but, um, I felt very, um, held and looked after by God on that night to be having something to do, um, to serve other people, even though it was only a couple of other people. And, um, to use i couldn't I could barely play the piano anymore because of my arthritis, but I could sing and um the fact that it fell on his due date um felt kind of like a promise that you know this isn't it your your life isn't like um, i I didn't feel like my life was over but it felt like I'm changing from being like a young, healthy mom into, um, you know, end of my childbearing years, severe illness, maybe forever, you know, you don't know, um, just unknown challenges ahead. um, but things like that popped up to, um, that were just a comfort that, um, yeah, it made me feel basically like God was holding me. And um in all of this, I uh why why it happened actually wasn't an enormous question at first. Um which I think is unusual. But um I've been talking for a long time. Sorry. You're totally
0: fine. <laughs>
1: um the I know that for a lot of women, that's their first, like, why? And I think because I'd, I'd heard so many stories, that wasn't my first question. And I knew that a lot of the times it was unanswered. And um but um in some ways, it almost felt irre- irrelevant, maybe because I was just in survival mode. And like, that's like, that question is a luxury. And I, I don't have um, time to ask. Of course, my doctor ran, um, she ran all the... She ran blood tests. She told me she ran all the blood tests. Um, And um, at the time I was wondering about this one particular one, because I'd heard about it through the recurrent miscarriage stories. And I didn't ask her about it because I, um, I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to challenge her as we talked about. and, um, that ended up being a huge regret, but, um, in another way, I was also just kind of doing the best I could with my, my brain as it was. So, um, yeah, so the blood test was normal. His genetic tests were normal. Um, they didn't autopsy. Um, everything was normal and, um, and, um, she also, my doctor also put, um, she w- made sure to put 17 weeks on, um, on the paperwork for him, even though he was, you know, that was my pregnancy time. He was younger than that big, but because that enabled me to be able to have him, um, released for cremation. Um, and so she really, um, she did her best to look out for us. Um, so, um, during this time, this is about a, a year and a half past. And, um, I, my doctor put me on a new medication. My rheumatologist put me on a new medication, which was, um, a or Loflunamide, I think. And I had taken it before. It was just another thing to try to beat the arthritis. Um, And she didn't say anything at the time. And I realized after I'd been on it a couple months, wait a minute, I was on this before, and this is a category X for pregnancy. And obviously we weren't trying to get pregnant, but we, um, we weren't, um, being as cautious as we would have been if, and so then I remembered and then I was like, I'm gonna, I'm going to talk to her about taking me off of it because, and find something more appropriate for my life stage, because we just weren't at a time where we wanted to take um other steps more steps um, for pregnancy prevention um, and um uh so long story short, I um became pregnant when I hadn't been intending to be because unlike a lot of women on this podcast, it happens quite easily for me and um And it was really, um, it was really frustrating because after, um, after losing Afton, intimacy was so difficult, um, because it was just such a scary prospect, the idea of getting pregnant again. Um, so it was really difficult and we were kind of just starting to get back, um, into a better place when... Um, I got pregnant again and I had not managed to get off that medication. And so, you know, I felt really embarrassed to have, um, I don't really like the term accidentally gotten pregnant because we all know where babies come from. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but of course, to have gotten pregnant in those circumstances and um, um, unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Yep. yep. <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> um, so I was I was so scared. I was so angry at myself. Um, I was shocked, but I was also really determined um, to do my best for the baby. And by this time, I I had gotten on to medic a different medication that was working um, that was starting to work better, although my arthritis was still really flared up. So um I um I we fought really really hard for her. We ended up having to do kind of an emergency drive to a hospital 4 hours away to get a drug that would wash the other drug out of my system before it had a chance to do too much damage. And um it actually was uh it wasn't that bad. It was a drink I had to chug 4 times a day for 2 weeks, which I finished just before the morning sickness kicked in and it <clears throat> it worked. Um, it washed the Areva out of my system because um, I can do a, a blood test to check for that, and um, so I wasn't as sick as I had been before with the arthritis, but I was still, I was not healthy, um, and so I, um, I, I did that whole thing with the drug uh, as soon as the the washout protocol as soon as I found out I was pregnant. So before we even had time for an ultrasound, but so we, uh, we were in right at six weeks for, um, an appointment and, um, her heartbeat was going perfectly. She was the size we expected. Um, I was, I was a mess. I mean, like the doctor was like, your blood pressure is kind of high. She was like, Oh, your heart rate is really high. (laughs) I was like, that's not normal. Um, Because, you know, the thought that I would um, get pregnant in a situation where I could harm the baby by the medicine I was taking was just too much combined with the fear um, of pregnancy after loss. But, um, yeah, she was um, she was healthy. Um, We had appointments and so we had ultrasounds where we saw her at six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, because my doctor was very cautious, um, even though I'd only had, I only told her about the one, the one miscarriage. Um, You know, it was very unusual at that stage. So, Um, and um, I, you know, I was a nervous wreck, um, pretty much the whole time, uh, at least through 10 weeks. Um, And I got some really good advice, which I could only have gotten from somebody who was very, very sympathetic. And it was a great listening ear. Um, uh, and yeah, my sister reminded me that, you know, I couldn't gain anything by, by worrying. Um, and it's funny because I say it and it's, those words aren't going to help somebody in the wrong situation, but they helped me at that time. You know, I was not going to gain, um, I was not going to help, um, the baby by worrying and, and that I was going to steal from myself the time that I had to be pregnant with her, if something was going to happen. Um, and so that really helped me just a a tiny bit (laughs) to not be as mad about this, this pregnancy. I was, um, throwing up, you know, multiple times a day and, we didn't see uh, quirky house. We didn't have a bathroom on the first floor, um, so I had to, and I couldn't make it up the stairs with my arthritis. So I'd have to run out to the backyard and puke in the backyard, and then hose it down.
0: Oh, no, <laughs> <You> know,
1: humiliating, <laughs> like just, just ridiculous. And um, and I, uh, my anxiety was to the point where I I wouldn't take um really any kind of medication my doctor gave me nausea medication I I couldn't take it mentally um and I um I would take the kids to school and kind of go home and hide in bed all day because there were just too many too many emotions and too much fear and so um but at the same time I was still able to I had more hope with every day um And and I realized that it wasn't necessarily about, um, about every day having more hope of having a successful pregnancy, but it could be about um, just loving her for the days that I had. Um, But, um, uh, so by, by the time of her of our 12 week ultrasound an appointment, um, I w- we were pretty confident that things were fine. Um, and so my husband and I had gone to an appointment in the morning to see my doctor, but she had gotten she had to reschedule because she was in an emergency um, delivery. And so we had the kids with us later because they were done with school, and we could have arranged for somebody to watch them, but we were like. You know, we've had three good ultrasounds. Um, you know, it's fine. Um, and so we brought them with us. And um, so they were um, four, um, probably about four and seven, something like that. Um, and so, um, uh, so, yeah she you know i got on the table for the ultrasound and everybody was kind of gathered around but of course the kids had never seen an ultrasound so they didn't really know what they were looking at and once again i could immediately tell when she put the wand on my belly um and so she whipped it off and she and nathan took the kids over to a different corner of the office and handed them phones play on these (laughs) you know anything to distract them from you know the conversation we were gonna have so nathan and i could tell them in our own time and um <clears throat> uh so yeah she had um we were it was the 12-week ultrasound but we were a few days late for it and she measured at 12 weeks and two days and so she had literally just died um like two days earlier than that and once again i had I had felt the flutters for about one day, and they had stopped. And I had said, "Well, it's so it's so early. It can you know it comes and goes." Um, and so that caught that. That ended up causing a lot of um, a lot of self doubt and just uh. Just um. Like questioning myself and then questioning the questioning of myself of like if you know do i know what's going on with my body or not um because the temptation since then is to be extremely paranoid because when i've brushed things off in the past it's been you know not fine and yet i can't live my life that way i've had to um you know i can't live my life always thinking that every fear that i have is right so it's um it's caused some complications (laughs) Um, so she, um, this time we, um, it was really shocking for a moment. And then, um, it was like, well, we know how this goes. So we know what to do. Um, we were actually grateful to be with the same doctor in the same hospital because with the military, you're always, always, always changing doctors. Cause even if you don't move, they move and it's, when you have complicated health things it's like the number one most frustrating thing so um once again we um um the same she you know she said she didn't consider it to be safe to be a dnc um to do a dnc at that stage of pregnancy and so but i i was glad once again i was um um scared because of what happened last time but not not horribly scared uh I was grateful once again to have the opportunity to labor with her um and to mourn in that way um so um i yeah I delivered um my daughter rose um a few days later, and no emergencies this time thankfully, I did have to have. Did have to have a DNC for the placenta, um, but, um, nothing too horrible. And the nurses were able to, they kind of made her cozy in a little container and brought her to us, um, to spend a little time with us. They were, um, really considerate. They were also, they were kind of hovering cause I had hemorrhaged last time. Um, but um so so yeah I went home I had to fly back to the states to be in a wedding a month later I was the matron of honor and so I had to return the maternity dress I had bought and um wear a different dress and I was a terrible matron of honor (laughs) my poor little sister she is very very sweet (laughs) but I basically didn't do anything and I'm uh, I kind of forgot how to smile for a little while. So that's not great while walking down the aisle at a wedding. <laughs> um, and, and while we were back there, we made the rounds with different family. And um, I just wanted to recount this one thing. Cause it was kind of my other, one of my greatest fears was being thought pregnant when I was not. Um, there was somebody, a friend of one of our parents who, Um, hadn't heard that I had miscarried. And um, during this period of time, you know, after being on steroids and I tried not eating during my last pregnancy and that didn't work. So this time I was doing all the eating. And um, so I looked pregnant and um, it's also just my body type. And so this lady hadn't heard what had happened. And so she came up to me and patted my belly and was like, how's that going? And (laughs) If somebody had told me that that was going to happen to me after what had happened, I would be like, no, I would punch the lady in the face or I would have screamed and ran or I would have sobbed. (laughs) And, you know, it was funny because after all that had happened, it was like the least painful thing. It was, it was mostly painful just having to tell her, um, because I had learned by then that, that I preferred texting people to tell them this kind of news because a lot of them would kind of, start crying or um and i didn't want to deal with their emotions when i was dealing with mine. so i told her and she was very apologetic and then i kind of you know i um i walked away and um i you know i was fine i i don't think it was because i was numb i think that um you know once again i i think that um God was really protecting my um God was protecting my heart and um, and I just had a lot of perspective, like there's much worse things than that um in the world and um so I survived that too um, and so Uh, my kids through all of this, they were, um, you know, they were mostly a comfort. Um, each time it happened, I really kind of freaked out about telling them because both times they were of course, expecting a sibling and were really excited about it. Would be doing funny little things to prepare the house. And, um, excuse me, um, but you know, they were okay. They were, kids take their cues from us. And, um, I, um, I didn't let them see me at kind of my worst, but I'm also, I'm not extremely demonstrative in my grief. Um, and so, um, <clears throat> they, um, uh, I, am. Um, I don't want to, I guess, yeah, I would just say that they were, um, they were comfort to me. It, um, you know, it's a, it's a different experience from what I've heard. (laughs) It's a very, very different experience having a miscarriage um, when you already have living children. And there are terrible things about both situations having not having living children already and having them um and so um uh, getting very tired i need to wrap this up um (laughs) i feel like why has my brain stopped working um The, yeah, the only thing was my, my son who was, um, four about to turn five, uh, he kept forgetting that I wasn't pregnant anymore. And so I would have to remind him. Um, but what he would do is he would like pat my belly or, um, on Rose's due date, which was actually the day before his birthday, he just, um we were standing around waiting for my daughter at an activity and he just kind of came up and, and kissed my belly. And I think he said like, you know, hi to the baby or something. And, um, and I had to tell him again, you know, the baby's not here, the baby's in heaven. And, um, you know, each time he, he took it just like, Oh, Oh yeah, that's right. Like I forgot. Um, And it was once again, just kind of a strangely um, healing thing to have him remember. Um, You know, it was painful and beautiful. Um, so um, Rose, uh, Rose was, um, also genetically perfect autopsy. Perfect. You know, once again, we could count her fingers and toes. Um, and except that time, my doctor ran a blood test that she did not run the first time. Um, and it showed that I had, um, probably had a blood clot in the placenta. Um, which would have caused her death. And so, and it's, it's very common with people with autoimmune diseases. Um, this was my, my antibody that was elevated was immunoglobulin M IGM. Um, and it's, um, and that was what I had thought about asking her about after the first miscarriage. Um, And so she said, you know, it's probably what caused both. We can't know for sure, but with no other data um, and nothing else wrong, you know, it was probably because my disease was active, um, that, you know, probably had a blood clot in the placenta. And the thing about having that is that it's easily prevented by taking blood thinners, um, in pregnancy. And so that's one reason I try to tell my story is so that, um, because a lot of women have autoimmune diseases, and a lot of them end up having recurrent miscarriages, and this is often the cause. And so, I just wanted to encourage people to push for um, for that test for a clotting issue, um, because you know, if it is what causes us to lose often, then um, you know, we potentially could have prevented the second loss.
0: And I think that that's, that's always hard to think about that, that you could prevent something, but you could only prevent it if you knew about it and you didn't know about it. So it's not, it wasn't preventable in your case because of that, you know, kind of taking that, I I think that there's like a mom guilt there with any loss, whether you're already a mom earth side or not, that's exactly what that is, is it's feeling guilty for not pushing or feeling guilty for not looking into testing. But the truth is that blood clots happen. Even if your tests all come back normal, you could still have a blood clot. Um, and you could quote unquote say that's preventable too, but it's only preventable if you know it exists. Um, so I do, I do say that that way you're not so hard on yourself with the word preventable. Cause you are, you're the victim. You're not the, the cause.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I very much agree with you. I was doing the best I could.
0: Exactly. Yeah. What does the future look like now that you have this information? Um, How do you feel? about either trying to have a third Earthside child or have you guys talked about that at all?
1: Yes. um, We, well, we've, um, you know, we've made a decision on um, biological children with, um, you know, all of the difficulties with my health. Um, We gave it a few months to recover from that miscarriage, which I ended up actually needing a second DNC three months later. So it just dragged on and on. (laughs) Um, But um, even as we ended up getting my disease under control again, um, and it's been under control for a few years for the most part, um, you know, we were like, we're going to quit while we're almost breaking even in terms of that. Because I, um, you know, I was... Uh, I was not able to be a very present mom. Um, While I was dealing with um, even just morning sickness alone, I'm just, I don't deal with it very well. (laughs) Um, And, and then on top of unknowns with my health, and, um, you know, seeing all the things that can pop up out of nowhere. um, I, I decided that you know, I want to be um, the best mom I can to the kids that are here, staring me in the face. Um, who I haven't talked about very much in this podcast, but I think it's hard to—it's uh, hard to sum up how I feel about them. I think it's probably implied.
0: <laughs> it, it definitely goes without saying.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So um, even though um, in theory. Um, In theory, based on what we know, I could probably, possibly maybe easily have um, another pregnancy and just take um, a blood thinner. Um, Of course, you never know, you know, life is unpredictable. But um, we decided not to risk it and um, to not kind of look the gift horse in the mouth. Mouth was how I felt. um, And I didn't want to miss any more of my children's little years. Um, and, uh, um, so, yeah, so we, um, yeah, we decided to, we're not going to have any more biological children. Um, the, the door is not closed on, um, you know, fostering respite care adoption. It's very much open to those things. Um, not because, um, we're not interested in adding another child to our family, but it's more a question of, okay, we have this kind of space in our lives, you know, time, money, energy. Um, Not that it always feels that way, but usually (laughs) my kids are, you know, they're uh, 11 and eight now and they're pretty easy. (laughs) Um, Even being home, you know, homeschooling, (laughs) um, there's there's, you know, time and energy there. And so um it's it's we're thinking, you know, how can we how can we use this space that we have in our family to hopefully um spread love out from it. Um uh, you know, even just um homeschooling which has been something that I've really loved i don't know that i would have done great at that with having another little one underfoot (laughs) um uh you know traveling we we live overseas but we love to travel from where we are and uh even that is just something that's a small thing that can say well this is more affordable and a little bit easier it's kind of like a feels a little bit like a booby prize. It's not worth not having another kid. Not of course, missing the ones that we don't have. But there's a little bit of well, at least we have this. Right. In and and then just dealing with my illness. um, And um, more, more time and energy for that and the curveballs that life throws us and, um, and, um, You know, we are, uh, especially coming out of the pandemic, we're reevaluating our lives and saying, okay, how can we, um, how can we kind of exist as a positive force in our, in our village and our community um, in a way that if we had had more kids here with us, you know, very legitimately, we would be pouring that energy into them. Um yeah. so um it's uh it was uh really scary at first um feeling like I was uh closing the door on my young years in a way even though I was only um I was 34 when we decided um not to pursue more having more kids myself and um but as I'm only, I'm 36 now, um, with a little bit of time and a little bit of perspective, I've, I'm able to calm down and say, like, I have so much life ahead of me. And, you know, as I'm coming out of the little years with my kids, um, I am, um, you know, regaining a few brain cells here and there and, (laughs) and, um, and just realizing that there's, um, kids are, kids are such an amazing gift, but, um, there are other incredibly wonderful things in life as well. And, um, and, um, I didn't want to spend the last shreds of my mental and physical health trying to have a baby that had my genes. Um, so, um, yeah um as it stands i feel um i i feel very healed in a lot of ways there have been a lot of a lot of um a lot of healing parts of the story that i haven't told tonight um but um it's now uh four years after my second miscarriage my um or my miscarriage with rose and um it is not, it is, it's not like an open wound anymore. You know, I just want to say that for people who are, um, for whom it is like a gushing open wound. Like, it's just, it feels like it'll never heal. And, um, it's, it's a scar and, um, some days it really hurts. And sometimes it's just like, you know, it's just like, a place that feels different than the rest of my skin. And I always know it's there, but, um, it's, um, it's not, um, it's not something that, um, kind of runs my life anymore the way that it did at first.
0: And that's a great way of putting it.
1: And I I did feel that I would hear people say that and I would say, no, I don't want that time to pass. Um. Because it, you know, it feels like a distance between you and your loved one. But, um, so maybe... Maybe in some ways it's not a huge comfort to somebody to say that, um... that it will not always be kind of the most important thing about you. But um, I guess I can say from my side of it that I did once feel that fear and dread of time passing and um, and life moving on. And I can say, you know, as you can hear, <sighs> Um, that it's okay and you know I still love my babies just as much as I did and the fact that it that it doesn't hurt in a in a mind-blowing way um it's okay
0: you
1: know it's gonna be okay
0: yeah and I think it's more like um you worry with time passing that over time you'll forget about them or that you'll go days without thinking about them or they won't matter as much. And so I think that there's a big difference between it not hurting as painfully horrible. I think gushing was the best word to use, you know, in those early days, weeks, in the first few years, and how it eases up, but you still think about them. It's just, your thoughts aren't as painful. They're more of in memory and in love instead of just in pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and I will say that my body remembers um, some around their due dates and, um, and the dates I delivered them, my body does seem to remember. And um, it used to be, um, a very deep darkness at that time and but now it feels more like a um uh it's just a remembering yeah um yeah, um, uh, yeah it's funny it's um you know I used to cry about it every time every day and then I would cry about it every week and then I would cry about it every month now I probably cry about it once every couple of months and it's been interesting doing this and delving into my memories because of course it's brought it all back up um and so it's still there it's all still there but yeah it's just, um, it's just somewhat healed
0: yeah I think that's a great way of putting it Well, Martha, thank you so much for sharing your story and for staying up so late to share it with me. I appreciate it so much. Um, It is an honor to get to hear about your babies and your life. And if you guys do pursue fostering or adoption and you want to provide an update with how, you know, your grief journey has played into that role, um, you're welcome back anytime. We would love to hear an update.